picture clusters of information as they move through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. Evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Miller, and it is very good to be here tonight. We are looking forward to covering a number of topics with you, all of them pertaining to technology and how they affect your life, or at least how they affect, I don't know, the universe, I guess. Paul, it's good to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be back. How's how's Fairbanks? It's cold. It's cold. It's lots of snow. There, you Winter know, sports. It was. It snowed here day before yesterday, which. I wouldn't say felt like an affront, but it, it was it was too much of a surprise to be an insult. Really, it was yeah. almost pleasant. It was it was just not the kind of landscape you expect to see in May. In May, no, yes, no. <clears throat> it, it really wasn't. And and there, it was beautiful, and that was great. And and we'll move on with that. And well, it I, I was I just couldn't help thinking how many people were calling their their therapists to up their dosage. <laughs> I have been told that, in fact, the rate of depression and uh, general calls to the police for th- for instances right. that might be related to depression go up significantly in the spring. Right. That <laughs> probably is worth When it. people are near the end, they really are true <laughs> nearly the, near the end. Speaking of nearly the end, the... Japanese police force is near the end of their rope of patience when it comes to dealing with people on the internet. They have not had much luck. No, they haven't. And I was going to cue the fear and panic concept here, but that actually just doesn't play in quite yet. It, it, it might. What? We're starting with something light? We're, we're starting with light for us. It can't be right. It, <laughs> We're, we're not beat poets. Light is, is not, not right. Okay, moving on. We're going to talk about Tor briefly. Okay. Have you heard of the Onion Router? I, I have now, yes. Yes, the Onion Router. So for those of you who don't know, the Onion Router, a.k.a. Tor, is a method for making yourself anonymous on the Internet. Yes. Originally conceived for and developed for people who might need to access the Internet in, for, in legitimate ways and stay anonymous. For example, let's say you live in China and you would like right. to access accurate methods of determining what the air quality is in Beijing, a.k.a. you have to access the U.S. Embassy's Twitter account, which mm-hmm. actually has daily updates on the air quality monitor in the roof of the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. You might want the Tor network so that no one kicks in your door mm-hmm. shortly after that. That I actually don't think there's a lot of door kicking that happens in China. Some, but that's an example. Iraq is a great example. Iran is another example. Mm-hmm. There are many places in the world where Tor is used and is really the only way to have access to the Internet or to speak your mind on the Internet without losing your life. So functionally, it basically gives you an opportunity to... Uh, uh, to shield the the origin of your message. Exactly. It works. It's a nonprofit, the organization that developed it, and the way it works is volunteers across the globe run the Tor software. And when you run Tor on your computer and you go to make a connection, it encrypts all the data that you send out and then bounces it out randomly against all these other people who are running the Tor software and uh, based on a random algorithm, then re-encrypts it multiple times and finally shoots it out to the destination at a point where the person receiving it or the destination of server that receives it 
cannot know in any way where it came from. It's completely scrambled at that point. And hence the the layers of encryption and the onion metaphor. Exactly. Um, the uh, It's called onion routing, and it's a, a, a type of encryption that's being used. So the original data and its destination are encrypted, and they're re-encrypted multiple times. They're sent through com- multiple successive randomly selected Tor relays. Each relay decrypts a part of the encryption, not all of it. And uh, that goes on to reveal only the next relay in a circuit in order to pass through the remaining data, blah, blah, blah. And by the time it's done, you are pretty much anonymous. So, if so you, what was the what was J- Japan FBI or their national police agency actually? Uh, well, what so were they worried about? They are hoping to outlaw the use of Tor in Japan. Mm-hmm. And Tor has, of course, become popular with anyone who wants to do anything on the Internet that other people might not like, legitimate or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, in fact, it's probably most commonly mentioned in relation to people who uh, – do what could be called cyber-terrorism, or at the very least, juvenile behavior on the Internet, such as the anonymous hackers Mm -hmm. and and other similar groups. But also predatory behavior and child abusers. Right. Theoretically, it could. It's actually pretty amazing how many people on the Internet who do things they should not and who do things directly contrary to the law do not anonymize their their traffic. Right. So in Japan, at any rate, the, J- the Japanese police had a really bad time of it lately because last year um, a hacker who had mm-hmm. a specific name, the Demon Killer, mm-hmm. started posting death threats on various parts of the internet, message boards, on, on different accounts, and he would take control of other people's computers across the country. And the police ended up arresting four people whose IP addresses had been used, who, right. that they had traced their IP addresses, your number on the internet, as having been the computer that had originated the death threat. Well, as we've talked Unfortunately. About, wah, 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 as we have talked about many times on the show before, an IP address does not denote responsibility. It does not denote an individual. Just because it came from your comp- just because it came from your network. It came from the address, yeah. not even necessarily the device. Exactly. Just because it came from the address doesn't doesn't tell you which device it came from on the network and doesn't tell you who's using the device. As in this case, as it turns out, the police were really eager to arrest this person. They arrested multiple people all of whom turned out to be innocent. And what's even worse, they had a, quote-unquote, the article puts this in quotes, extracted a confession, which sounds incredibly ominous. Yeah. And then they were, the police had to issue an apology when the hacker kept po- posting the messages while that they, they were really, While they were being held. While they were extracting confessions. Yes. Yes. I am glad that I am not having any confessions extracted. And I guess the, the National Police Agency has had a, a somewhat of a history of extracting these confessions out well, of people. Well, so, so in reading, yeah, various articles about this, so I'm led to believe, which I didn't know, and is pretty interesting, um, it sounds like the police in Japan mean business. And perhaps innocent or not, you would not want to cross their path. Well, I think it's a CYA thing, you know, where they've got to get somebody so that they can appear to have handled yeah, the absolutely. problem. Yeah, Who knows what extracted means? Maybe it just means threats, certainly the law enforcement in the United States does the same thing. Maybe it means breaking fingers. I don't I, think they're throwing stuffed animals at them. No. Well, that would get annoying after a while. <laughs> I mean, I, I would give up. I would divulge some information after an amount of stuffed animal throwage. Slicing them with a dull katana. <laughs> dull or not, I'll pass. In the end, 
they did catch him, mostly because an anonymous tip led them to a part of Tokyo where a cat was found with a USB drive on its collar. I mean, I think a movie is going to be made out of this yeah, someday. Yeah, it could. And that USB drive, it contained information that only the hacker could have known. And after they reviewed surveillance footage of the area, they managed to find the individual they, responsible. They connected the cat with the person. And I have to say, no one has made clear, and maybe I just haven't been able to dig it up yet, but while we're talking about this, no one has made clear how that USB in drive ended up on the cat. Well, I was going to say, why in the world? I mean, was, was it like who, a, I've who, heard of carrier pigeons. Are there carrier cats? Maybe it was his backup device. If you have a lot of stray cats in your backyard, you attach your hard drives and USB drives to them, and you just and trust. And they flee. Exactly. And you know that no matter what, in case of catastrophic data loss at your residence, you might be able to find a cat at a pound your with your kitty, data. Kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> As it stands, this isn't the first time that the police, they've, they've been struggling with cybercrime in Japan. This was the latest in a string of such events. And so they have been under pressure to come up with a report or a method to say, okay, what are you going to do right. to stop this from happening again? And their response has been, we We're have to stop people from being anonymous on the internet. Tor. Yes, yeah. get rid of Tor. Which is an interesting question because I suppose you could argue that why should you be anonymous on the internet? Hmm. Why? What? What right do you? I mean, what right do you have to being anonymous all the time and doing whatever you want? On the internet, do you have that right? Well, I think the whole whistleblower argument is one of the strongest cases. If you want, a, you know, a, a free society, uh, and some of your society is afraid of reporting things that government officials don't want you to report, then that's a case for being anonymous. Yes, and certainly it doesn't seem like in society at the moment we have any laws that require you identify yourself before any action you take whether it's mailing a letter, making a phone call, et cetera, et cetera. So if we are going to require people to identify themselves online, then why wouldn't we require that everywhere? Well, that, that's a huge issue, and we are typically going off, off topic, but I don't mind. Um, the whole topic? What's a topic? <laughs> the whole business of, of anonymous comments on the media. Yeah, I mean, that plays into it. It just frees people up to, to spew venom and Absolutely. accusations. Absolutely. Most, most comment boards on the Internet are the lowest common denominator of humanity. YouTube comments are the black hole of intelligence. There's no question about that. On the flip side, do we need laws to govern mm -hmm. that? Do we need someone who is watching and making sure that no one's posting anything illegal? Do we? Do you and I need to be forced to identify ourselves online? Or the opposite, should people have the right to be anonymous if they so desire to be? Hmm. And I, that apparently is what Japan is struggling with now. They haven't outlawed the Tor network yet, but Tor has a lot of very legitimate uses. And I would, in fact, argue that most of the uses that it has are legitimate. And I would, wait, I would much rather see individuals continue to have the ability to re remain anonymous and speak free mm -hmm. freely than all of us have to pass through a filter of some kind. Well, and you make anything illegal, people will always find a way around it anyway. It's true. Yep, that's true. So this plays into, this plays into other things, speaking of uh, uh, anonymity and why you might want it. And that probably will play directly into our next favorite bit, which is... This is truly, course, yes, fitting of the theme. V. 
the IRS. <laughs> This it's is, coming for you. It's not April anymore, but <laughs> not a distant memory. You know, the IRS is never a distant memory. <laughs> As it turns out, the IRS claims that it can read your email at any time for any reason without a warrant. That's right. So that's Paul, what they're claiming. You've you've just reviewed this. What what were your takeaways? Well, there's a lot of judges and legislators that think that American email messages should be protected. That uh, the IRS says, you know, once your stuff's on the internet, it's not really protected anymore. It's not really private, I should say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and therefore. Why should it be protected? Yeah, apparently they say that Americans enjoy pretty much generally no privacy. That's a direct quote from them in their email, Facebook chats, Twitter messages, and similar online communications. I mean, and there's some truth to that, but they're they're extrapolating that that truth in, in a direction I don't think we want to go. No, they're extrapolating that truth in the direction of saying that just because so many things are publicly available, things that are not publicly available, a.k.a. your email communication, should be something that you can extract from an email service provider without a warrant. Yeah, And um, I would submit that that seems like complete complete horse wash. I mean, it used, used to be wall. true that they had to, they, they could only access stuff that was 180 days old. And they had to have an administrative subpoena. Which is significantly different. It provides, yeah. not, the thing that people often miss, it's not just about, providing roadblocks for a government agency to do something because they can usually be jumped through. It's also about providing a paper trail of saying who applied for what and why it was approved. Mm -hmm. So if something happens and if something untoward is done, then we can go back and say, okay, well, this person is responsible and here's who approved it and here's why. And there has to be uh, on the record an actual reason. It's not random. Well, the IRS manual apparently indicates that investigators can obtain everything in an account except for unopened email or voicemail stored with a provider for 180 days or less without a warrant. And that is their position. What's interesting to me is that every major technological company, Amazon, Apple, eBay, Google, Twitter, etc., and apparently various liberal, conservative, and other advocacy groups have all asked Congress to op- update the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which was enacted in 1986. I would say things have changed a lot since then. And they've all asked it to express that law enforcement would, would need a warrant to access private mm-hmm. communications. Well, there was a... Which doesn't, I guess that does not currently exist. Well, there's a precedent, though, in 2010, the U.S. versus Warshak. Um, and the outcome of that was a federal appeals court um, that um, American citizens have a reasonable expectation to privacy in their email specifically. And that, that's been the, the arguing point of, like, Google and Microsoft, Yahoo, Facebook. They've I wonder how that ends up applying to a reasonable expectation to privacy from companies like Google. All of these things play into this interesting double conundrum where, on the one hand, we're really constantly worried about our privacy in terms of other individuals and privacy in terms of what a corporation can learn about us for advertising purposes, right? We've talked about it on the show, and we all lament all the time, gee, Facebook knows X, Y, Z. Google is mining our information, et cetera, et cetera. But we actually don't spend that much time lamenting the fact that the IRS says, ah, well, we can just go in there any time and look at it. Mm-hmm. We don't need you to sign a license agreement for that. We just look at it, and you can't opt out. There's to be no opting out for you. 
it, that is probably a much bigger issue to me. And if mm. that rule exists, if that law exists, or if that precedent exists, that the government or federal agency or state agency cannot just invade your email privacy, then it's much more likely that's going to trickle down corporations. But they think that the the companies that have access to the information are restricted in what they can do with it. Theoretically, whereas, whereas yeah. if no, the government yeah. had legal access to your information, there's no limit to what they could do with it. I think that's that's the concern. No limits. I, it is. It, it it absolutely is. And that just plays into the next part. We're just going to keep ratcheting ratcheting up the panic here. Our goal, as I mentioned to Paul earlier tonight, is to eventually get someone to run screaming from their house. Yes. So please let us know when we are successful in that goal. Just get on your phone. Yeah, you know what? You could tweet it. You could tweet it. You could videotape. In fact, speaking of which, this is a great breaking point for us to note that you can get in touch with us. Yes. It's not just us streaming into your house via the internet or via your iPhone or across the airwaves through Palmer, Alaska. Or screaming at the top of your lungs. Or it's not just you listening outside the door, any of the above. You can actually reciprocate. You can email us at help at outofajam.net. You can text me at 841-7368, or actually if you have the iMessage service from Apple, you can text me at help at net as well. And if you give me your name and number, I can give you a number to call and you can give us your commentary, or you can just give us your commentary outright. You can also do that on facebook.com slash outofajam. And where Again, would they call if they were to call in? I don't think I'm allowed to give that number out. Yet they have to give us a number first. I see. So we have to be able to track them down and throw them in jail I if see. they do anything really untoward. Not that I would ever think that they would, but you know, if they did. Okay. We're being cautious here. And speaking of being cautious, we have learned, according to an interview with at least one federal agent, and this ties directly to what we're talking about, never mind that the IRS insists it doesn't need a warrant to mine your information. There is a federal agent who says that doesn't really matter because... They've already uh, got it. They do. Apparently, not only do they have all your emails, they have also recorded every con- phone conversation that you have ever had. The end. Yeah. Paul, how do we learn this? Well, um, that's a very good question. I think, if I remember correctly, <laughs> that can... <laughs> Paul pedals for time. How did I learn it? I don't even remember what I learned five minutes ago. No, we... It came out because there's been a lot of conversation about trying to determine whether or not other people are implicated in the tragic bombings that happened in Boston very recently during the Boston Marathon. And uh, right now, part of the investigation relates to one of the bomber's mothers and whether or not she was aware of what was going to happen, therefore whether or not she was an accomplice. There was also the the wife of... Of the, the older brother. Oh, really? It wasn't the mother? Was it? Um, Come here first for all your best and most reliable news. Our Catherine facts Russell. Are completely reliable facts from Michael Miller. <clears throat> it, that all is somewhat not nearly as relevant as the fact that there was an interview with Tim Clement. Uh, he was a member of the Joint Terrorism Task Force for the federal government, and he was interviewed on CNN. And one of the things that they asked him was how they were going to find out whether or not she had any foreknowledge of the plot and whether she had aided her husband and brother-in-law to help them and so on and so forth. I guess there was a particular interest in a phone call that went on between 
the older brother and his wife. Exactly. And right so right after this photo was released. The transcript of that conversation has let us know Clement then went on to say, well, it wouldn't really matter if she didn't cooperate with investigators. The government could still have the ability to determine mm-hmm. what she had said during that phone call. So it raises the And in fact, questions. he indicated they'd have the ability to go back and listen to all phone calls ever. Well, mm-hmm. ever may be an exaggeration, but all phone calls. So a direct quote is, Clement, we certainly have ways in national security investigations to find out exactly what was said in that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily something that the FBI is going to want to present to court, but it may help lead the investigation and or lead to the questioning of her. We certainly can find that out. So CNN said, well, you can actually get that. We can know what people are saying. And he responded, welcome to America. All that stuff is being captured as we speak, whether we know it or like it or not. Yep. Which I've probably said many times, and I think we've all to some degree. I I would not say that's exactly groundbreaking, but this is the first or one of the few times it's been spoken out loud as a concrete fact, and I haven't heard any backlash yet to indicate that he's a filthy liar and should be sent to jail. I heard an an interesting, I learned a new word in in researching the story, and that, um, you know, the vast troves of information, you have to be able to quantify Mm -hmm. the, the size of the stockpile. No kidding. There's something called a Yoda bite. I have not heard of Yoda bytes. Is ten, that like, is that ten like to a, the twenty-four bytes of data. Oh no, Yoda byte with a T. Yota byte. Yota, or a septillion byte. Septillion byte. Yeah. I have no way to, in <laughs> any way, relate to those numbers. I, you know, Bill Gates. They just might. keep buying external hard drives and. You do. Them so what you actually do closet. is they keep running to Costco and they have a special <laughs> team dedicated to cutting them out of the bubble wrap and plugging them into a huge wall of USB ports. And, they and have, all these they portable have, drives are hanging it's off the USB cables. Job. It is all you do. You're a USB drive unpacker plugger, <laughs> so you can record phone calls. <laughs> And then someone has to listen to them. That's the worst. Well, that's one of the the things that also came up in the article I was looking at is that, you know, you could be fearful about the the government listening to everything, but, you know, the reality is there's not enough manpower to to actually take take a, a serious look at everything. Right. Well, no, certainly not, although... They could probably, and I think that's what he was indicating, if they knew there was something right. at a certain date, at a certain time. You can, look, you can backtrack. They, they and can look backtrack. At, yeah. And so I guess Wired had an article about that just last year, and there's a multi-billion dollar complex in Utah built by the NSA. And that is where they store vast databases on communication, which emails, phone calls, Google searches, whatever, whatever, everything you've done in your life. Well, yeah, it even comes down, according to what I was reading, you know, it could be tracking parking receipts, uh, you know, travel itinerary, bookstore purchases. They call it (laughs) pocket litter. I like that. That's very cute. That makes me feel like I'm not in communist Russia at all. Can you imagine how much various totalitarian countries must love this kind of technology Mm, to be able to keep track, which ties back to why I feel things like Tor are critical. Mm -hmm. Because if we live in an age where we can be basically summated and computated and collated in our entirety, the the sum of our lives can be put in a database. What you've bought, what you've said, what you've thought, (coughs) where you've gone, where you've been, why you've been there. I mean, really... 
you know, down to car travel, airplane travel, theoretically, mm-hmm. and at this point I'm definitely ramping up the fear and panic, theoretically, every little tiny bit of action that you've done could be recorded sure. and referenced. Well, just like the... The, the film footage of the of the terrorist bombers walking you know to the site where they well exactly put their their bags on the ground and there you go we're all filmed so mm-hmm. in a world like that the counter fear and panic to me is that that same technology provides tools to protect you mm-hmm. should you be should you want to should you opt for that and you can be a lot more anonymous than you are now and there are many ways to do that and it is one of the reasons that Many governments hate Skype, for example, just because Skype encrypts its communication, mm. its audio communication. They can record it till they're blue in the faces. They have useless data. Mm. And probably someone at the NSA could crack the encryption eventually, but it is things like that. You can encrypt your emails. All of this communication can be encrypted, so even if it's captured, it doesn't do someone very much good. And something like Tor just in- ensures that you can browse the Internet and they won't know whose Google searches whose Google search that was. They might know someone searched it, but they won't know it was you. Only the person that you're in direct contact will, will exactly. be able to. Yeah. So in a world like that, I feel that just is serves to act as an example why anonymizing services, why things that can protect us concretely against any entity, whether it is legitimate or not, is valuable. So Bravo. there you go. Yes, fear and panic. Speaking of things uh, surveying you all the time, apparently there are cute cardboard box robots that are doing that too. Yes, it's true. I'm looking at a picture of one right now. It's really adorable. It I is kind say. of adorable. Yeah, it's button eyes and a little smiling face. Little uh, rectangle cardboard box. It's called a blab bot. Yep, which love it. I suppose in context might be a little less adorable now that I think <laughs> about it. But the Blabbot is a documentary, and the documentary is directed and <laughs> filmed in it, it is filmed by these little robots that are they run little tracks, and the camera and microphone exists inside this cardboard box. Right, and they got little um, like like a um, like a Martian lunar or lunar surface, uh, the tread, you know. It can go on different terrain. Exactly. It is a lunar surveyor for our emotions and ourselves, <laughs> so to speak. And so what they're tasked to do is they cruise out into society and they have a variety of questions that they asked. And they ask these questions of people with a childlike voice or not mm-hmm. a childlike voice, a child's voice. Various children yes. provided the voice for these robots and Very ask cute. questions like, what is the best lesson you ever learned? Or yeah. who's the person that you love the most mm-hmm. in life? And why do you love them so much? Right. And so people have this opportunity to respond to this tiny little friendly looking robot and say whatever they want to say in complete privacy, and that is being compiled into a really fascinating documentary. We like we watched a short video of it, and uh, and we'll get to that right when we get back after the break, which is going to be in just a few short seconds. We'll be right back. You're listening to Radio Free Palmer, KVRF 89.5 on your FM dial. If you'd like to get involved with Radio Free Palmer, contact us at RadioFreePalmer.org. This is your chance to invent community radio in Sutton, Butte, Chickaloon, and the surrounding areas. Well, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. 
Blabbots. Blabbots are cute little cardboard robots that roll around on little tracks and record people's responses to the questions that these robots ask with cute childlike voices. They're tiny. You can pick one up in the palm of your hand. Yeah, and I suppose if you didn't like what the little thing was saying to you, you could just crush it. The power of privacy right there. <laughs> no, I opt out of this cookie. Crunch. Too bad you can't eat a cookie. You don't want it, you eat it. Although everyone who's really concerned about privacy would be at risk for diabetes, I suppose, <laughs> in, in today's world. So Blambots is a project to, to create a documentary of people's responses. And Brent Hoff is one of the people who's behind the project. There is a, an entire organization of people who's work, about people who are working on this. And these robots have been sent out to, to ask people questions with questions like, what's the worst thing you've ever done to someone? Who do you love most in the world? And Tell when we watched it, many of the people said, me. And that was, was interesting. And the, the people who, who are working this project said the same thing, is that what they found, what's most interesting is that uh, so many of these questions started revealing patterns, mm-hmm. particularly when no one else is around. Yeah. It's a very private moment, and people feel like they can respond to something in a candid manner. So one lesson that they bring up is that when asked about important lessons learned in life, many people brought up that gaining the ability to say no. It was actually specifically women in that particular. Would write, which it's interesting. The ability I, I, to say no. I'm not sure what that says about me, but I definitely find that to be a significant uh, ability I'm still working on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the word, the, saying no and meaning it is a very valuable life lesson indeed. The one that Paul and I noticed, there's a short video you can find. You can go and look up BlabBots on Google if you want. It's very simple. And Or you could also look up BlabBooth.com, same thing. Or BlabDroid. BlabDroid also. And they have a little trailer, which is quite touching and interesting. All these montage of various people responding to these little robots, asking questions with their childlike voice, which I actually found a little creepy, Yeah, I have to say, personally. I did not find it disarming. I found it a little bit... I'm sorry, disembo- disembodied voices of children make, make me think of movies like The Exorcist. Right. But, but that's, that's just me. The, 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 yes, in answer to the question of who do you love the most, it's amazing how many people said me. Me. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm projecting some concept of selflessness, but is, I, it, is it the sign of the times? I or? don't know. That seemed did it seem weird to you too? No. Because it seemed, it seemed weird to me. I cannot say that I am the person I love most in the world. Yeah. I, Why would you share that if you, even if you thought it? <laughs> Maybe we're just more <laughs> private. Maybe we think that they didn't ask who's the most awesome person in the world. That answer is obvious. Well, everyone would say you, Michael. Thank, well, that's 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 what I, mean, I was not going to say. I was going to say you, Paul. Awesome. Of course, right, right. Uh, so it's it's really a cool project, and that's a great example of technology being used in a, a very specific way to perhaps learn something new about ourselves. Blackbots, yeah. check it out. I can recommend it. It's a good path out of the fear and panic portion of our show. Exactly. I would definitely agree with that, along with a similar tool that is being used. Well, actually, I'm going to backtrack on that real quick. We're going we're gonna to 
go back to Fear and Panic for a second. Okay. <laughs> because imagine if these little robots were equipped with lasers. Oh, goodness. <laughs> because they could be. The robots could be intelligent, and they could go crazy. And lasers are now a if practical... If answered the question <laughs> incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Who do you that love the most? <laughs> 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 it's a practical reality now. I, I really... In fact, I almost feel like I'm just going to play this video so people can gain oh, an I understanding that we didn't. Yeah. Listen to this. The U.S. Navy faces many threats. One representative threat is unmanned aerial systems, or UASs. Conventional weapons, such as missiles and projectiles, are important to ship defense, but they're expensive, limited, and require time to engage a target. High-energy lasers augment conventional systems by providing engagements with reduced collateral damage at tactically significant ranges with cost savings realized by minimizing the use of defensive missiles and projectiles. So to make this clear, they are mounting lasers on U.S. Navy warships. Well, on a ship now. Well, now they're on a ship. It, but it's, yeah. it's being rolled out. Yeah, and the reason is, is because they're going to save the planet by saving energy. Well, and money. And money. <laughs> Lots of money. And by lighting things on fire from a distance. And it's so cool. I have to say, so the video, you can look this up. Look up Waz on YouTube or just look up Navy laser video if you want to simplify it. They show the little unmanned spacecraft zipping along, doing its evasion thing, and one minute it's zipping along, and the next minute it's on <laughs> fire. out of the sky. <laughs> goes down. There's no laser beam. There's no Star Wars sound. It just lights on fire. They're saying that the, the high energy cost is, a, is about a dollar per, per shot, so to speak, shot, compared to hundreds of thousands of dollars to fire a missile. So I guess in the future, there's going to be a lot of barbecue during war <laughs> and not a lot of bombing <laughs> is the upshot. I, wonder, I would imagine it's more accurate, too, because it's, it's traveling at the speed of light. Well, right. The Navy no was very proud done. of that. Basically, the computer, if you can lock on and mm-hmm. point, pzz, done, done, fried like a bug zapper. It reminds me like a bug, bug zapper. It's yeah, no, exactly no, what no. I was thinking, yeah. So a long time ago, I listened to a radio interview on a really remarkable radio program called... Uh, Coast to Coast AM. Some mm. people may be familiar with Coast to Coast AM. Art Bell ran Coast to Coast AM, and it was a really remarkable radio show. And he covered some things that were crazy, some things that were not. And he had a guest on once who specifically talked about the fact that he was convinced that within a few short years, and that hasn't really panned out, his claim was a few short years, and I see this happening very soon, robots or unmanned vehicles would be how warfare happened. Mm. And I think that, that this is... Just once this and drones are but one of many steps in that particular direction. Well, we have unmanned combat in in the case of cyber war. Well, we have, yep, that's right. We have um, self-propelled cars. We do, mm-hmm. we do. We have self. We have mo- we have drones. We have unmanned aerial yep. drones. Unmanned a lot of our airports. warfare right now is happening on the internet. We didn't even talk about this on fear and panic. We'll do this next time. But there is a huge rate of incidences from attack from China. We've already talked about this like five mm-hmm. or six times. But hey, there's more, and and the list sort of go goes on and on. So yeah, I I think it's I don't know if a few short years is right. People are always very optimistic when they predict technological change. But it certainly seems safe to say that eventually most of our conflicts are going to be happening online or between devices, hmm. which makes you wonder if what 
if anything, that is going to mean for the cost of war and our willingness to engage in war. And whether or not people are going to start writing creepy papers about how killing robots isn't enough, we have to make sure there's lots of collateral damage the other country fears us. Well, I think that's the whole the premise of, of terrorism is about maiming and killing humans, not destroying um, digital hardware. That's true. And, and psychological warfare being much more important than, than perhaps anything else. And part of that is exactly where cyber terrorism or cyber warfare, where ugh, cyber warfare is targeted at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that we'll be able to, to keep people from killing people, but certain aspects of it will become more As automated. long as we can keep it online and video games will be fine. I had a very satisfying weekend of video games, I have yeah. to tell you. We'll talk about that later. Were you shooting things? Well, in a manner of speaking, have you ever heard of StarCraft? Yes. StarCraft. I did it with you once. No, that was WarCraft. Oh, World of Warcraft. Seems very similar. It is very similar. Same Uh company. Same company. um, uh, Same. Same. So it's more space oriented? It's space and it's much more strategy related. And also Uh. you, at least within the context of why it's popular, you play against other people. In Mm -hmm. fact, so much so, and I hope to get a guest on the show about this, it is a national sport in South Korea. I'd, and I'm not exaggerating this. It is the sport in South Korea. You go to a bar, and they don't have football, they don't have soccer, they have StarCraft on the screens. Hmm. And that's what you're watching. And the people who are good at this are multimillionaire stars. Really? Yeah. No, absolutely. They, they are the superstars of their community. They are the brilliant StarCraft players. Hmm. And so they are incredibly cool. And that's actually spread a little bit to other countries, but we'll talk about that another time. But it does make you wonder if we are going to end up having those people be our military masterminds versus Hmm. anybody else. And now I'm really going way off base Perfect. Yes. Journalism. I've never heard that term before. Have you? No, I had not. Apparently you can journal your isms. Something about churning. Right, I would have to say. There is apparently a, a rising trend, or perhaps not rising, there is a, a practice, heaven forbid, on the internet or in journalism today to just copy-paste from those yeah. sources. We used to call it plagiarism. We used to, it's true. Now we call it journalism, which I guess means that you can get away with it and not be sued, but it's still a really bad practice. Yeah. So, super fast match. Super fast match. That is technology being used mm-hmm. to combat the negative effect of, of this other piece of technology, copy-paste. And super fast match is a project that takes an article and matches it against as many known sources on the Internet it can find. Uh, press releases, Wikipedia, dictionaries, websites, the blogs, whatever the mm-hmm. list goes on and on. And then it will highlight right in an article, bam, and show you not just what was copy-pasted, but even what was changed mm-hmm. in some manner. Right. Let's say you copied something and then you changed a few words around to make it look like you wrote it. It can detect that. Yep. And the detection rates have been pretty high. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, there's one example that's uh, posted. It's just shocking in two whole paragraphs verbatim. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons is is that in today's world, the pressure is so high to get news out as quickly as possible. And with as small a staff as possible. With as small a staff as possible, it's very, very true that simply copy-pasting a press release probably seems very, very tempting if you're trying to get people to read your website yeah. as opposed to others. And so people have actually, you know, been stealing attribution, so... They're saying that this is my work, and it's not. So I, there's an ethical issue there too. It's true. I, you know, I have to wonder 
whether or not at some point the trend is going to stabilize or reverse itself, we're not going to be seeing major news outlets basically hamstrung or gasping for oxygen in terms of staff and in terms of trying to compete for on-the-minute news and still provide reliable, quality journalism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, hopefully it will. Have you ever heard of the magazine? No, I haven't. I hadn't either until recently. The magazine, so Instapaper, we've talked about Instapaper mm-hmm. on the show before. Instapaper is a service where you can go to a website, click Read Later, and then log into your Instapaper account and get an ad-free, beautiful text version of what you want to read later. And I use it all the time. I use it in preparing the show. It's a great way to just compile a bunch of articles that you want to read at some other point, read them in comfort and safety and happiness, et cetera, et cetera. So the guy who designed that went on, turned around, and sold Instapaper and started instead an online magazine called The Magazine. Mm. It only does long-form articles. It is not free. You cannot get any access to any part of it. You can only buy an account mm. and log in and read the articles that way. What's the cost? The cost was five ninety nine a month. Oh wow! Yeah, and anyone—this is the other thing—you can go to the website and anyone can submit an article hmm. right on the website, and they'll consider it. And if they want to, they'll go ahead and publish it or not, as the hmm. case may be. The interesting thing is, is they have been very, very successful. They have been financially successful. They have been successful in terms of their audience. They're doing great. Are they getting good writers? That's a good question. I haven't read any of them. I I only read the free Google News articles. Mm -hmm. I should check that out. I'm the exact wrong demographic, I think. But, yeah, my hope is is that as time goes on, there's going to be much more of that, and journalism will go down. In the meantime, of course, there's super fast search, and you should check it out in case you ever want to just verify and make sure that your news source isn't being terrible. Well, it's not only that they're stealing. Sometimes things are taken out of context. Or like you, you did mention actually, mm-hmm. um, a, a key fact has changed. So yes, become uh, aware and that of that can be really important. In other words, tracking down the original source and understanding what happened. And that serves as a great example on how so many things that we get. We've got our fear and panic segment, and technology brings in all these negative aspects to our lives. But it is also often the answer to those self same a- aspects, or at least the counter. There's a lot of counterbalance. We just have to ask ourselves if there is a counterbalance that technology can provide. Well, the news media is certainly having to reinvent itself, and it's um, s- still happening. It is still happening. How how often do you need to do you run into your students copy pasting stuff on the internet? Um, I like to say not often because when it happens, I make a big issue out of it. Right. Um, and have you ever? But have you caught people doing that? Yes, and yeah. I, I, I've got engines that will help find find material and sh- show the sources. And oh, really? And it's you know the height of embarrassment to a student to not only see that they've been accused of it, but seeing a, a hard copy of of the source that they took it from. So the question for me is: is when that does happen, it, do you generally spot it right off, or do you generally do you do have to put it through a tool and find out? Okay. I can I can feel it. <clears throat> I know my my students' voice mm-hmm. enough that something feels wrong, and if it feels wrong, it usually is wrong. So I can take a, a section. I mean, I don't even need you super know tool. super fast. Uh, I can just put use Google, take right. a section of text and quotes, and I can find one or more s- sources. Now here, this kind of attests to what. Superfast search is looking for is 
I'll often find multiple sources of the same passage. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, almost hypocritical, you know, when you accuse a student of doing that and then you see that multiple sources on the Internet have done the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's very, very true. Speaking of patterns, I have something that I feel is really, really cool, and perhaps we've talked about this before in a way, but the app of the week for me is not really an app. It is in a sense. It's called forecast.io. So forecast.input-output. You could think of it as, or just forecast.io. You could go to a website for that if you wanted to. And it's a weather prediction service, which sounds very, very boring, I realize, particularly since we've already covered an app of the week that was about weather. And that particular app, I really liked the interface. This one, though, is based off a very popular app called Dark Sky. And Dark Sky was only designed to give you a weather prediction for the next few hours. So you knew exactly what was coming up. And it made a name for itself because it was very accurate. It had a very specific focus, and it did a really good job at what it did. So the team behind Dark Sky took their prediction algorithm and they created a service that also aggregates all the information from other services, Weather Underground, AccuWeather, various federal weather services, and aggregates that all into one website, into a very simple interface, and it does the same thing. It tries to predict what's going to happen in the next hour, the next 24 hours, and the next seven days tops. Hmm. And I found it to be impressively accurate. Not only have I found it to be impressively accurate, but they have an even cooler feature called Time Machine, which is what I really love. So if we go to, say, Palmer, Alaska, right, and we go ahead and say 19... What year did you move to Palmer, Paul? Um, to Palmer 2000. Okay. So let's go ahead and let's say May 6, 2000. Oh, not 200. That would be a very long time ago. It will tell us exactly what the oh weather gosh. and temperature and precip- precipitation were for that time. So last year, degrees. it was 52 degrees. That was yeah. a lot warmer, I have to say. And we had a very slight wind, and it was cloudy. Hmm. And you can go ahead and just flip through the days to see the graphs. This is the only weather service I know that's very easily accessible online that gives you historical data on wow. pretty much any location that these weather services cover. It's really Incredible. cool. Yeah, so 52 degrees. What was the temperature? Let's see. I forget. What was the temperature today? Right now it's 43. So a good 10 degrees difference in 2000. Hmm. Hmm. And it would be really interesting to plot together some graphs over the past few years and see what the trends have been. They also have a great radar view that shows you an animated view of your local area to show you what your weather radar is doing. Mm. I've never really understood weather radars. There's blue spots moving Mm. over white Mm. spots. Um, Precipitation, low pressure. I'm sure it is. It looks very complicated. Difficult. Mm. That's why I have a weather service translator for me. They also just have a little current location button you can click on and give you a current location. And for some reason, on my phone when I do that, it places me in New York every time, <laughs> which is very suspicious to me. But there you go. The interesting thing is, is if you go to forecast.io on your iPhone, you can't view the website. The only thing you can do is you can create a web app out of it. You have to tap and hold the bookmark button. Mm. And any time, and, and people may not know this, any time you visit a site on the website, you can hit the little share icon that's that square box mm-hmm. with an arrow coming out of it. And then you can choose to email it or text message it or whatever. Mm. There's also an option to add to home screen. 
And that will take that website. You can give it a name of any kind that you want. And that will place it on your home screen, and it will look like an app. Wow. And I use that as a way of really quickly accessing sites I access every day, say my bank website or a, a couple of other sites that I refer to constantly. Forecast.io is interesting because it won't work if you visit it in Safari on your iPhone. It will only work if you save it as a little app on your home screen. And once you do that, it still brings up the screen, it surfs the web, but it behaves just like an app would on your phone. It's, it's completely realized on the Internet, and it's done a really impressive job of that. Most applications along those lines are terrible, in fact, and this one feels like a native application on your phone. It's off the Internet, and it tells me that we've got possible sprinkling for the next hour. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it sure felt like that on the way over here. So Yeah, it's true. So that's forecast.io. I recommend it. Cool. The last thing I want to talk about is people power. And so if you have an old iPhone mm-hmm. and or an old iPod Touch that you might like or not want to throw away, you can turn it into a surveillance camera with people power. <laughs> <laughs> you install people power. You use duct tape, I'm assuming, to ratchet your phone onto some place somewhere. And then it provides you with constant 24-7 audio-video communication from that spot. Oh, my god! And you can tune into it. You install people power in your other application. You create an account with the service. And then you can view your cameras anytime you want to. Cheap, fast, efficient. And your dog could theoretically bark at you and communicate. Yeah. Or your baby. It could act as a really cheap baby monitor. Yeah, huh. It doesn't have a way of doing very specific alerts, but it can do motion sensing alerts if you want them to. And it's a free application. Wow. Huh. So powered powered by ads. People power. Turn I'm your, gonna check it out. Yeah, turn your old iPhone into something useful. I've got one of those. And by the way, actually, for people who don't know it, you can also sell your old iPhone for cold hard cash. Mm. Most old iPhones go for a good Depending on the generation, 150 to 200 to 300 dollars on Craigslist. Or An eBay. old one? Well, yes, because here's the trick: it's it is free of a contract, mm. right? So for you to get an iPhone for 99 dollars, I can go and get an iPhone 5 right now for 99 dollars, right? right? But I have to sign up for a two-year contract. Two years, yeah. So, or the other option is I can turn around and buy an iPhone 4 for 300 dollars, no contract. Mm. I could unlock it. Uh, carriers will unlock phones for you now. I could unlock it and use it on any carrier service that I want. Hmm. No contract, no fees, no nothing, just my phone to use however I want. Hmm. So phones that are no longer bound to a contract command a premium on the used market. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So surveillance camera, money. Surveillance camera, (laughs) money. You're just going to have to make up your mind. (laughs) Paul, you partnered with some money for an external hard drive. Yeah, I did. It's a pretty cool little device. Sony. Mm-hmm. It's a little black box. Yeah, when you held that up, I noticed immediately how schnazzy it looked. Sony's one of the few companies outside of Apple that actually takes time to care about industrial design. It's very striking. Yeah, like it's it just it's, uh, black brushed steel. Mm-hmm. Um, no text on it except the, the Sony logo name. It takes the, what is it, the USB 3.0? Yep. Zippy, uh, zippy. So it's, I guess, faster than FireWire. 
it, it was kind of gone passe. Well, uh, uh, the 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 fan the Firewire fanboy in me feels the need to to raise the specter. A couple of specters. One USB 3.0 is awesome, and one of the reasons that USB 3.0 is so awesome is that it's backward compatible with USB 2.0, which is backward compatible with USB 1.0. Mm. So the awesome thing about USB, of course, is that it pretty much works with everything, right? On the flip side, Firewire 800 almost matches the speed of USB 3. Mm. It is a little slower. But if you already have, say, a Mac, which you do, Mm -hmm. it will work with Firewire and still provide you with that speed, whereas you don't have USB 3. Only only significantly newer computers have USB 3. Okay. But you're right. Moving forward, Firewire is getting phased out. It's pretty much dead. And moving forward, the the new super high-speed port is Thunderbolt. And the consumer high-speed port is USB 3. Now, um, my iBook has uh, both FireWire and USB. Mm-hmm. So you're saying some devices don't have one or the other? Some devices don't have FireWire. Mm-hmm. Virtually every computing device on the planet for the past 10 years, probably more, has USB in one way or another. Okay. The, the catch is, and I think you made a really good choice there, particularly moving forward with where you're going to be eventually, but the catch is that it, you're not going to see any benefits out of USB 3.0 on that device today. You will eventually. And people very rarely like to think of buying technology in terms of planning for the future. But honestly, someday you're going to have a computer with USB 3.0 and you're going to be really happy that your hard drive supports it. Well, now, the, the, the USB input is the same as any USB. It is, but your USB input on that MacBook is USB 2. So okay. it, its maximum throughput is set. It can only, it's got a maximum speed. This device will work with it, but you're not going to get USB 3 speeds okay, out of it. Okay, so the, the physical connection works universally. Exactly. But then the, the guts behind that are, are upgraded. That's exactly got right. It. That's exactly right. So theoretically, if you had a device with FireWire, you would still benefit because your computer has FireWire, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. I used to really push people getting FireWire devices, and lately I've stopped doing that because A, FireWire is getting phased out, and B, most of us no longer use a USB drive for constant media access. We use it for backups or just occasional external storage. Mm-hmm. So unless you're doing video or audio or, or are, you are using it for just a constant external hard drive, that extra speed is, isn't something you're probably going to really notice or care about. Unless I got a newer machine. Yeah, and how big is that drive? One terabyte. One terabyte. How much did you pay for it? Well, I think $130. Yeah, that's amazing. You can now get a you tiny thing that fits in your pocket, mm-hmm. fits in your pocket, has crazy fast speeds, and stores a terabyte of data, which is probably more than your computer has on it yeah, by definitely. a long shot. Absolutely. That's astounding. And one thing I like about it, too, I have uh, relatively old, you know, in other words... I bought it last month. No, <laughs> just kidding. You bought it yesterday. Uh, two, two days. Gosh, Paul. Two days ago. No, all right. All right. Two, d- two years ago, mm-hmm. I got a 500 gig mm-hmm. FireWire mm-hmm. external drive, which I, I've put music, music on Yep. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like about this is it's even smaller, mm-hmm. but it's not so small that it's going to be lost easily. Sure. And I like that that aspect. It's interesting it. you should mention that because I've been buying uh, a, a USB headset. No, I'm sorry, not a USB, a Bluetooth headset. Hmm. 
And the biggest problem with Bluetooth headsets, which I love, if you they get disappear. a good one, they do. You literally lose them. Yeah, I had one. I don't know where it is. I, I've managed to hold on to this one. I have protocols in place. It's the Bluetooth protocol. The, it goes in the a BP. specific place. It does. It has specific place in my home, <laughs> in my office, and in my shirt. And if the protocol is not followed, there are problems. We have problems. And consequences. And consequences. Fingers are lost. (laughs) Limbs disappear. No, I follow protocols with this. I wondered why you lost that pinky. And I've still, yes, exactly. It's it's terrible. (laughs) One wonders, doesn't one? No, just Bluetooth device loss. And I've still almost lost it. It was missing for a full week. And I found it in a shirt. And I love it. And if I lost it, I'd buy another one in a heartbeat. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The little tiny things are cool until you realize that li- they have they can disappear into little tiny cracks yeah. at the drop of a little tiny device. Yeah. Whereas you're not going to lose a hard drive. Not that I'm implying you should go out and buy you know, I don't know a mini fridge for your hard drives, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's helpful. And I'm going to mention on that things are so cheap now. You can get an eighty dollar hard drive, right, or a hundred and twenty dollar hard drive if you want mm-hmm. tons of storage. You can go out and on a Mac backup for free with Time Machine. And on Windows, I've done a lot of testing, and Genie Timeline Free is one of the best Windows backup programs you're going to get. Also, free. Download that for free, Genie Timeline, and have all this stuff on your computer backed up. So it's cloud? No, backs up to one of these little $80 hard drives. Yeah. So 80 bucks basically, and you can be protected from disaster. I see. Or so carry all your stuff automatically. With you. Yeah, or do both. I actually have a drive machine. I carry with me that's both backups and uh, you know uh, emergency utilities or stuff I like to show people or whatever. Mm. So think about that. We are very happy to have been here. We're very sad that you did not call in. We're disappointed in you. That's rare. It is rare, and and frankly. Doug, I don't know why you're slacking on the job, <laughs> but next time we'll look forward to talking to you, <laughs> and we hope that you have a great week. Please tune in next week. We have some great things in the pipeline. See you later. The Grid. A digital frontier. Clusters of information as they move through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then.